Welcome back to the Bucket Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is episode 11. It's been a while, and I apologize for that. Um, now with two kids, both under two, my daughter is all of seven weeks old. It's kind of changed a lot of things, and uh, it had slowed down kind of my expected pace of some of these shows. So sorry for those of you who were looking forward to more sooner, but I'm back, and I hope that this satisfies your need for some of the bucket seat. So yeah, without further ado, I'll get right into it. So I think on the whole new family or new extended family um, theme, I'm going to do an episode today that's just more about... Um, what it's like driving with a family. And I think that's a topic that even for the most hardcore of enthusiasts when it comes to automotive, we can all relate to, uh, I guess, that the, the, the conundrum that it creates. You know, we all love driving so much. And, you know, I've put so much into understanding the auto industry, I guess, even just to my, what I would say is mild knowledge uh, compared to some of those who I've met recently. But you know, I have a lot of love. And um, when it came to the, you know, in my mind, I'm, you know, I'm doing air quotes on compromise that you have to make when you have a family and you need to be able to transport a family around. It definitely changes your perspective on th- all things motoring and, you know, what, what it means to be enthusiastic about cars. So you can make a lot of different choices. Um, a couple of them I'll kind of describe here. Uh, but I guess I thought if anything, you know, if it proves helpful, I have had two, sorry, three experiences just recently on uh, one on a very extended road trip and a couple of that are more just kind of the realities of daily driving uh, with a two-year-old and an infant um, and what that means for, for me and for my life. And, um, you know, if it helps to influence anything in yours, then great. If it doesn't, then that's okay too. You probably won't be listening to this show for long. Uh, once I get through that, what I'll do is my regular $15,000 uh, car challenge. But this time I am going to focus on cars that you can drive with a family. So I'm not going to say it's the ultimate family machine because I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, there'd be a lot of different opinions on that, which is cool. And I I definitely encourage those to be shared, but um, I think it's a a reasonable family machine for someone who's enthusiastic about cars. So when I, uh, when I I was saying that I've, I've gone on a fairly lengthy road trip, I just finished a couple weeks ago, a thousand kilometer drive from Ocean Park, Maine, all the way back, um, kind of throughout New England, back into Quebec at Stansted through, um, you know, doing the the 401 all the way back into Toronto. And so that was with one, two, three, four, five passengers, two of them being infants. And it was in one of the oddest vehicles I think you could probably conjure up for a road trip of that length um i guess only because of its limited run and just generally desirable desirability it's my mother-in-law's car so no offense to her debbie i'm sorry uh if i offend anything uh i do actually have a new appreciation for your vehicle but it was definitely never my favorite or my first pick however like i said i do have a new opinion on it and um i i guess i might as well share it so the trip started um, Ocean Park, Maine, and this was in a 2009 Chrysler Aspen Hybrid. Yes, 
the 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 hybrid. Um, so that was, you know, it's really a Dodge Durango trimmed out as a Chrysler um, with a noisy hybrid motor strapped to a Hemi. Uh, I really didn't give it much time of day for the last many years that she's had it uh, until this trip where I was going to be the driver driving it all the way back. So I really had to settle in and get used to it. So it does have a ton of room. Um, There's definitely no question about that. Seat seven easily. You can put two car seats in the middle row. I mean, hypothetically, you could sit between them if you want to be the Switzerland of seating positions across from opposing siblings, I guess. Uh, and then two in the back. So that's that fold out seven or sorry, third row for the sixth and seventh passenger. It definitely, as any or most seven seaters do or do not, um, they do not offer you much room in the back to store anything more than a couple of bags. So although you get the seven passengers, you really don't get seven passengers worth of storage, cargo and luggage. So beware of that but if you've been looking at any seven passengers recently you've probably found that to be the case in all options so nothing new there um so yeah thousand kilometers so it was pretty interesting luckily both of the kids were amazing um the vehicle was surprising though so uh, up to i can't even remember what the ratings are but i think it's less than 20 kilometers probably 10 kilometers an hour uh, the hybrid motor is fully functioning and so you just get this really weird humming as you do you hear from most of the hybrids. Um, you get a really weird humming noise, some ticking that I don't think is really intentional. I think that's something wrong with the car over and over again. And then all of a sudden the Hemi kicks in and off you go. I have to admit that um, as with most electric motors, I mean, it's an amazing torque on demand for those first few kilometers an hour. And then once the Hemi kicks in, there's no shortage of power for this enormous vehicle to get moving. And so on the highway as well, it's kind of the same case. You really get a ton of power um, and a ton of passing ability on the highway that I really, really uh, enjoyed. So that kind of made it a bit more of a fun drive, even with my family in the back, obviously being really careful and cautious. But getting on the highway, uh, you know, sometimes you really have to just, you know, be a bit more spirited in how you dip into the throttle. And so Magnus loved it. My son, he's always yelling faster, faster, faster. And I swear to God, when that thing is at wide open throttle, it sounds like a NASCAR. Um, So it's kind of cool in that respect. Uh, Some of the downsides are most definitely the seating position. It's super high. You feel like you're driving a bus. It's extremely wobbly. So, uh, you know, any SUV with that kind of waistline definitely feels top heavy. And so that's the case with this one. Everything inside of it feels really dated. You know, the nav system is completely useless. um, And a lot of the interface, um, you know, in terms of any of the display Uh, and center console, center stack are all just, you know, so complicated. There's really no reason for them. Buttons in really odd places like rear wiper controls are right below the, you know, audio function controls, but they both look exactly the same. Um, You know, certain things for the climate control are in really odd and peculiar places. I think they just kind of ran out of spaces and ended up just filling odd ones with whatever other buttons they needed. So, uh, that's all kind of weird. Um, you know, it um, it looks quite dated too. It's never never been kind of my favorite look. Uh, I thought 
original Durangos were kind of cool in the first place until they redesigned them this way. But um, that's kind of it. I mean, I won't go much further into it because, frankly, it's not that interesting of a vehicle. But I do have to give it credit for being a lot better than I'd ever expected. And it's actually a fairly decent driver on such a long road trip. I guess the one really cool thing to note that I didn't know until I was in there and I haven't read anything about it since, but I just kind of, you know, saw it and noticed it while I was driving was the regenerative braking. And so on some of those big mountain roads or sorry, mountain roads, I guess they're mountain roads um, through New Hampshire and Vermont, it was really interesting to watch the kilometers to empty uh, readout actually start to climb as I was going down these massive hills and letting off the throttle. And as you let off the throttle, the regenerative braking starts to come into play um, as, you know, you lightly touch brakes. But even with that, the resistance um, is starting to regenerate more power and you're actually watching your distance to empty start to climb again. And so, I mean, someone may call me out like and call me crazy if, if I was seeing things, but it was really cool to actually watch. And it does have a massive fuel tank, um, but it was, God, I think I went through three quarters of a tank. No, not even, uh, sorry, um, uh, more than that. Uh, by the time I got to within a couple of hours of Toronto. Um, so from that respect, it was pretty impressive. And of course, gas being the price it was in the US, um, it felt very inexpensive to drive. So I know it's not expensive or inexpensive to own from everything I've heard so far um, from my mother-in-law. It's been in the shop quite a bit and some very odd parts that had to be replaced. So uh, anyways, really weird kind of odd story on that one. The other vehicles, I think that most of you know that I drive on a regular basis. So I have a 2012 WRX. It's a five-door hatch. Definitely my baby. It's a one-sided story there for sure. However, um, it is pretty ideal for transporting two kids around. So as long as you don't have a ton of luggage, um, which I don't know if that's possible with two kids and two adults traveling everywhere, but, um, you know, as long as you're savvy and you think ahead in terms of what you're packing and what you really need, the essentials, uh, it, it is totally possible in my opinion. I've done it much, uh, a lot, sorry. So for us, typically, you know, it only really ever has one seat in it for my toddler who's facing forward behind the passenger. And it's perfect in that configuration. So I couldn't imagine a full-grown human sitting in the middle um, between a rear-facing seat and a forward-facing seat. I really don't think that that's an option. So that's kind of crossed out. If I throw a little kind of umbrella stroller, a pack-and-play, a couple weekend bags, and a baby bag in the back, it all actually fits really nicely with the privacy cover drawn. So I like the idea of still having some visibility in the back, uh, opposed to a lot of people I see on the highway. So when I pull that across, um, I really like the idea of having a bit of privacy, um, keeping all of the things that are meant to be in the back, like deathly projectiles, if you were ever in an accident, kind of under there, at least with one extra piece of coverage to help you out. Um, so uh, yeah, so anyway, so uh, you know, I've done a couple of the thousand kilometer road trips down to Maine, you know, we loaded it right up to the roof liner. It definitely increases your storage space if you max it out that way. But again, I only had one toddler in the car at that time. So there is a lot of um, a lot of room if you do fold down the seats because they're a 60-40 split. So that works out well. Um, and I would say that even though we're not really light packers in that case, when it was just the one toddler and two adults, we actually still had some room to spare. So um, 
that's you know obviously we're doing this just to talk about the what it's like to have kids in a car like that more than it is to own the car for performance and driving and all that kind of stuff we get to that lots uh, lots in, in other shows so i'll stick to this one um the downside to the wrx um i think it's fairly natural for the car so um, fuel economy, depending on how you drive um, and what your habits are, um, you know, it, it can it can be a bit thirsty at points, but that's a well-known if you buy a WRX, so it's not something that you should be really all that concerned about. Um, the performance trade-off is well-known and it's well worth it, so I would much rather have the power on demand uh, that the WRX offers than have just pure fuel economy. We'll get to that one in a second, actually, with another option. So... Um, the sound. So if you've ever let the exhaust breathe in a WRX, um, you know, it's with anything a bit bigger than, than, you know, the smaller mufflers, um, that come with, uh, an exhaust like mine. So I have a, a nameless performance. Um, it's not the complete axle back delete, but it does open it up a lot and I just have little three inch mufflers in there. And so it's still a little bit muffled, but it's not completely deleted. It's definitely a lot louder than the stock. Um, but I think it gives the car what it was always meant to have. Um, and so you do get this kind of enveloping rumble that ensues. I've done some sound dampening work. Some may say it's a little bit too loud. It can get a little bit drony on the highway. Drony, if that's a word. It can drone a lot on the highway, uh, depending on where you are in both the RPM range and your speed. So as long as you monitor that, it seems to be pretty good. Um, sorry, excuse me for the sniffles. I'm starting to get a cold here. But um, anyway, so um, where was I? So, you know, generally for me, I mean, I love the, I love just the sound of the car. There's something very visceral about the sounds of cars when you drive them. And I think that you have to do something about that to enhance it in some cases. And I don't mean enhance by being louder, but I think that if you can open a car up a little bit, it just, there's something about it that just feels so good to be able to drive and listen to and feel while you're in that car. Um, and maybe that's just me, but I feel like a lot of people can connect with that. So I love the sound of it once you've opened it up a bit and my kids don't seem to mind, especially after I did the sound dampening um, inside. Um, also, I mean, if, you, if you're fine with driving manual, which I hope you are, um, you know, it's great. The car's fine. As long as you've learned how to drive manual, you won't have an issue in it. Uh, I do like the idea of the new WRX having a CVT. That's pretty cool um, if you want to be able to take advantage of that option. I think Subaru does CVT best of anyone who's out there these days. So that paired with what you get in the WRX, I think is a fantastic combo if you need to go with something that isn't a manual. And so the more and more I drive in the city and the more and more I drive in traffic, I can completely relate to this. Uh, but I still think my, my routes connected to a manual transmission will stay strong for a long time. Um, what else do we have? So, yeah, I mean, I think in, in closing for that one, it's that if you, if you don't want to compromise between space, utility, comfort, and performance, then the WRX, uh, in particular, this is, I believe the GR chassis. That's what I have in the 2012 five door hatch. I really do think it achieves that perfect balance for a family car. And I know that's been well-documented. This isn't new news to anyone, but um, you can only get the sedan now. I mean, I hope that that changes at some point or maybe someday the Lavorg will make its way, the Subaru Lavorg will make its way into North America. 
that would be amazing. I would be so happy. I think a lot of people would be. I think that would probably take over for the ultimate family machine at that point. But for now, for me, WRX five-door hatch is a really, really, really good combination of all the things that you need when you have two kids. So I'm going to flip it over, though, to the other side which is a 2015 Subaru Crosstrek that I have. So it's a sport model. It's got the tech package, no nav, which is totally okay with me. Um, you know, we use our phones for just about all navigation uh, that we need. And that serves us super well. So we don't need the nav. Um, I spent a, a ton of time in that machine as well because I also drove that for a thousand kilometer road trip back from uh, Ocean Park, Maine, back to Toronto. So, um, what I, you know, I'll just kind of rhyme through a lot of the things. So for ground clearance, it's amazing. Um, I think it's 220 millimeters of ground clearance. That's a ton of ground clearance, especially for that vehicle. So that's like the same as Forrester and Outback. Um, you know, it's a good driving height. You know, you don't feel dwarfed by some of those mega SUVs on the road or transport trucks, and it's a pretty quiet ride. Um, you get a bit of drone still, um, at, uh, at higher speeds. And I think, I think that's still just CVT noise. Um, but it's not much, it's not much at all. And, um, you know, I think only I would notice it or someone who's, you know, ultra aware of those things would probably know about it when they're in the car, really comfortable seats. I have the cloth seats. Um, I'm really happy with that going through the summer the leather in my car, I know what was me, but the leather can get really, really, really hot in the summertime, even in Canada. And so I really like the the cloth seats and uh, they're still heated, which is awesome. So uh, we haven't gone through a winter with it yet, but I, I know I'm going to be really happy. Um, you know, we obviously throw winter tires on it. Um, that's a whole other episode about winter tires that we'll do. But um, so that's really uh, confidence inspiring in terms of the all wheel drive system and the ground clearance. You know, my wife drives it a lot. So we've got both of the car seats in there all the time. They fit perfectly. It's a little bit tight in the uh, passenger seat. For me, I'm six foot right on and the seating position to get in there. It's it's comfortable for, you know, short to medium length rides. So let's say up to like three, four hours. Um, anything beyond that, you're going to want to get out and stretch your legs a lot just because it's pretty tight. You know, your knees get pretty close to the front of the dash. And so you'll want to be able to get out and, uh, and stretch them out. But, you know, relative to how long you're going to be driving it on a regular basis, I think it's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, I've got the two car seats in there. Um, you know, for me... I always love a little bit more power than not more power. I mean, I think that's kind of obvious just given the premise of this show for the most part. Um, but um, it, in, in the city uh, with the CVT, it's definitely potent enough and has enough torque to make you feel like you can have uh, the get up and go that you need to be able to get in and out of traffic. So that to me is all that I need, especially when it comes to a family vehicle. On the highway, I mean, you're absolutely not going to be blowing anybody away. Not that you'd ever be racing anyone uh, in that in that car uh, or in that vehicle. But, um, you know, if you've got really got to lean into it uh, to get onto the highway, you've got to be pretty strategic in where you're going to get in. And I know that that's the case with a lot of vehicles on the road these days. Um, and that's the case with the, with the Crosstrek. So if you want something with more power, I mean, you can definitely go Forrester and Outback, um, to be able to get your fix there. But for Crosstrek, again, in that combination of, um, of affordability, of reliability, of space and utility, 
this is a major, major, major home run. So yeah, you might compromise a bit on performance, but you get that back tenfold in fuel economy. And that's something that I think everyone today is super aware of, especially if you have two vehicles. I tend to like being able to have a trade-off, um, you know, knowing one is going to be a little bit more performance oriented and a little worse fuel economy and one is going to be a little less performance oriented and get you great fuel economy. And the WR, or sorry, the uh, Crosstrek has absolutely given us amazing fuel economy. So that's something to definitely keep in mind. Um, I haven't really tested it out in terms of its off-road capability. Um, I think this winter we'll probably be able to put it through its paces just to see how that vehicle performs uh, when it's really tested, when it's really challenged. So um, I'm all into that. Now, something in particular for um, for the Crosstrek that I think is extremely important to note, and I've touched on it in another episode, is the EyeSight system. So if you're not familiar with it, check it out. It's Subaru.ca forward slash EyeSight or just Google Subaru EyeSight. You'll find out everything about it. And it's a system that's comprised of a handful of different components um, and some of which you know, you may never even encounter, may never actually come into play in your life of driving the vehicle, but there's a couple that will or could potentially be a really important part of your daily driving. And so I'll talk about the one that I find to be the most interesting um, first, but um, before that, I think it's really uh, that, you know, you need to be, you need to note that the system has really been designed um, around safety first. And so there is a ton of safety and safety mitigating um, you know, systems in place that are a part of eyesight that would stop if you were to, uh, if you weren't to see a pedestrian in front of you, or if you were to, you know, pull out from a vehicle uh, to pass and there was, a, you know, an obstacle completely blocking the road, you didn't see it, um, the vehicle is going to stop for you, like it is literally going to stop for you. And again, there's a lot of technologies and a lot of systems out there in cars today that have this. Uh, and it's great. I think it, I think we all need to keep moving in that direction. It's definitely starting to um, become a lot more common in a lot of vehicles. And I know Subaru is super proud of it. So uh, the one that I use, though, on a regular basis that for um, a family driver, I think is critical is eyesight's ability to be able to accelerate and brake for you in stop and go traffic. And if you're in the city or anywhere near the city or you're commuting on a regular basis, it comes in super, super handy. So just for, you know, quick explanation, um, it, basically when you're on the, when you're on the road and you set eyesight, um, you know, it has a default setting of 40 kilometers an hour. And while you're in the city, if you're doing under 40 kilometers an hour, you can set your distance. There's about three different settings. One of them will allow you to be fairly close to the vehicle in front of you. And then obviously number three would keep you the furthest distance away from the vehicle the system will allow. If you keep it to the closest setting to the vehicles that are in front of you and you engage eyesight, <clears throat> if you're in stop and go traffic, it will literally slow down and break you into a break uh, behind the vehicle in front of you as you're driving automatically. As the vehicle then moves forward or inches forward, it will then allow you to inch forward with it. When it breaks, it, you break again. And so the monotonous stop and go, stop and go on and off, on and off when it comes to gas and brake and gas and brake in the, those driving conditions is completely eliminated for you. And the only, um, you know, the only caveat to it is if the vehicle is stopped, I think for more than three seconds, you get three beeps um, and then the system disengages. And then you have to just either tap the gas um, as it's beeping or you just re-engage it, reset the, the, the eyesight control and you're back 
excuse me, you're back up and running again. Um, and then as soon as you are uh, free and clear of that traffic and you're out in the open, I mean, you literally can just like tap the, the cruise control up like you would in any other vehicle and it will progressively get you up to the speed that you desire. Um, just like any other system on the highway, when it comes to uh, adaptive cruise control, it uses these two cameras. I'm sorry. So the eyesight system are a series of two cameras um, just beside and behind your, uh, your rear view mirrors. Um, it will monitor the cars ahead of you and adjust your speed accordingly to help you speed up and slow down um, in all different traffic conditions. So I've used it a lot now. I've become really comfortable with it and it's insanely, insanely helpful. And most of the people that get in the car with me when I'm using it don't even believe that that's possible. They don't believe that cars actually have the capability of doing this. And it's really interesting and kind of gratifying to show them that that's where, sorry, that is where most technology is starting to go to. It's not autonomous by any means now. You have to watch out for obviously all of the traffic signals, um, traffic stop, sorry, stop signs, um, all of the, excuse me, intersection lights. Those are obviously, uh, obviously all on you. Um, the system doesn't detect those. But when it comes to vehicles in front of you um, and even now behind you, they have a reverse uh, automatic braking system. Um, it can see all of those things. So I really like where it's going and packaged as a vehicle that is extremely affordable given what you get, uh, especially with the Subaru. I'm biased, obviously, you guys all know that. Uh, but um, it's, I think, a really, really valuable package. And for a family, I really don't think that you could get uh, a better combination for, you know, let's call it between twenty-five dollars and $30,000, um, somewhere in and around there. Um, you really, really, uh, I think you, you'd, you'd be silly not to look at it really hard in terms of, uh, one of your options, uh, in the market. So that's it. Um, uh, those are just a couple of the, the vehicles that I've recently had experience with. Uh, I love it. Uh, the, in terms of the Crosstrek, there's still more room in that than there is in my WRX. Um, and we use it a lot. Um, so check it out. I think it's worth your while. I mean, if I had, but if budget was not a concern for me whatsoever, I think the classic options that I would probably go for are things like the Mercedes E-Series wagon, you know, the AMG, I'd go Audi RS7. I might even look at a Tesla P90D as a second car for family. Love the Audi RS4, RS6 if we were in Europe would be amazing. New Jag F-Pace is still, I have a big question mark on that one. I'd love to be able to uh, to get into one of those and see what it's like. Um, I've heard really good things about it. They look beautiful. They sound great uh, for a luxury option. Kind of cool. Uh, you know, Audi Q7, I mean, it's just stacked full of awesome, awesome info. Uh, sorry, info. Uh, it's Their infotainment's amazing, but it's stacked full of, uh, of just awesome, you know, full luxury options, especially if you get the diesel. And then lastly is the Cadillac CTS V-Wagon. I kind of have to say that one because everyone loves it so much. Uh, I've never driven one. I would love to uh, if you can find them. So that's it for now. I'm going to move into the $15,000 used car challenge. Um, that may even end up being another episode just after this. So I'll release them into two. Uh, and that will be a very family oriented episode to try to get people into awesome family cars that still don't sacrifice absolutely everything. Uh, for $15,000 or less. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Um, hopefully you tune in for the next episode. 
that will likely be episode 12 or 11 and a half, depending on how I do it. So thanks again. Keep listening. Subscribe. Find me on iTunes. um, And uh, I appreciate everyone listening. Send me an email if you have any questions or you'd like anything in particular to be uh, included in the next episode. Uh, Until then, cheers. Cheers.